Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The topics and opinions expressed in the following show are solely those of the hosts and their guests and not those of W4CY Radio, its employees, or affiliates. We make no recommendations or endorsements for radio show programs, services, or products mentioned on air or on our web. No liability, explicit or implied, shall be extended to W4CY Radio, its employees, or affiliates. Any questions or comments should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for choosing W4CY Radio. Welcome to The Camping Show. I'm C.W. Getz. And I'm Willa Munson. It is Wednesday, September 8th, 2021. And we have a beautiful, sunny, actually, I can tell you, it, it's beautiful, sunny, 77 degrees, but windy as heck, man. It is just, uh, it's whipping around here. How is the weather in Pennsylvania? Willa? It sounds about the same, except no wind, which allows the humidity to come in, making it less pleasant. So I'm kind of jealous. Yeah, you don't like that humidity, huh? Nope. Nope. East Coast humidity is not my thing. <laughs> no, I like humidity. I mean, there is a point, but uh, I'd rather, I don't like fall just because it's so dry. I'd rather have some, yeah, I know. Everybody fall goes, is my favorite season. I know. Everybody, everybody <laughs> Especially <says>. in Minnesota. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think probably, you know, we were talking before the show, that island of Tonga. I think that's something I really need. To <laughs> Tropical. <laughs> Tropical sweat all day. I like that. It's supposed to be healthy, though, when you sweat, right? So, I don't know. Who knows? Well, tonight's episode is brought to you by Campground Views, making camping easier. And by Rutabaga Paddle Sports, providing time on the water. Tonight's episode is all about canoes with our special guest, Bear Paulson. Would you tell us a little bit about Bear, Well. Yes. So Bear is an experienced wilderness adventurer, canoe builder, and writer. He's worked in the outdoor industry for over 25 years. His written works have been published in the Boundary Waters Journal, as well as other publications. Bear's extended canoe trips include the Yukon, Northwest Territories, Nanavut, Sasko, Sasko. I can never pronounce this word. Help me out here. I yeah, promise I can say it. Yeah, <laughs> Ontario, Utah, and Montana. He's explored over 80 rivers in Minnesota and Wisconsin, and to date his longest canoe trip was 139 days. For over 20 years, Bear has led more than 200 high school students on week-long wilderness canoe trips and winter camping trips in the Boundary Waters. 
And in 2013, he, along with his partner, Ted Bell, launched the Princeton, Minnesota-based North Star Canoes. Bear frequently performs as a public speaker and also teaches classes at a number of outdoor events throughout the upper Midwest and Canada. Well, with that, welcome to the show, Bear. Welcome, Bear. Thank you. Thank you. you. Good to be here with both of you. Yeah. You know, Willow, I actually, I do follow along with you on these introductions, just so you know, I don't leave you out there hanging. (laughs) (laughs) I can, I promise I can pronounce that word half the time, but the other (laughs) half, it it trips me up. Since we're doing true confessions, I have to tell you, because I was like, uh, let's see, tonight's guest, and I almost said Paul Bearson, and I swear, I'm like going, that's not right. Stop. And I guess, <laughs> I, I don't know. It's been one of those days, but yeah. How are you doing, Bear? <laughs> I'm doing well. I'm doing well. <laughs> oh, man. So how's your it, weather there? It is a beautiful uh, fall day. Uh, we've got low 70s. It's getting down into the 50s at night, so it's great sleeping weather, great paddling weather. That's exactly the kind of weather we're having. You like the dry stuff too, don't you? Like Willow. <laughs> she's like, oh yeah. No, I'm, uh, you know, it's, it's nice not to have it raining. Um, we are too dry right now though. I mean, the boundary waters just reopened. Uh, it's been, it's been very dry in all of central and northern Minnesota. So we could actually use the rain. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. I think we're a little late for the crops though, but yeah, I'm we're with you. Um, well, I'll tell you what, let me ask you to start off here. Where did the roots of the canoe actually originate? So, you know, canoes started out as dugouts. Um, that's uh, take a hollow tree uh, or take a dead, take a, cut a tree down, uh, burn out the center, scrape all those ashes out, burn some more, scrape, 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 add thwarts to push it apart, and, uh, and you've got a canoe. Uh, so, I didn't know they actually burned them. I, I just thought they actually just scooped them out. I did not know they burned them, but that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Yeah, well, when you don't have good tools, burning makes a whole lot of sense. <laughs> you know, with our tools now, it's, it's totally possible to just, just you know, edge, edge tool them out, but right. not, not in the early days. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I, I learned something. I did not know that. And I should have known that, but I didn't. And then, so, of course, uh, then the other type were bark boats. And so, you know, you had your birch bark, which was primary, but there was also elm bark and quite a number of other barks that were utilized to build, for the most part, boats that behaved just like dugouts in the sense that you couldn't move them. But birch barks were the unique ones in the sense of, and those are North Americans explicitly, that you could actually pick them up and portage them, which truly are the roots of the modern canoe that we think of. Right, right. Yeah, what what did you do? I mean, those dugout... uh, canoes how much does it have to weigh i mean i'm sure you've people have built them since then but how much oh yeah incredible amounts uh i mean those you know hundreds and hundreds of pounds uh you know the biggest ones i'm sure are close to a thousand i can't say that i put a scale on any of them uh but there certainly have been recreations i mean they tried to recreate um lewis and clark's voyage down the columbia they made a dugout for that and and ran it down and found out that dugouts follow the deep water channel because they're so heavy um, okay. So that all you have to do is bail. You don't have to know how to steer. <laughs> That's nice. That's always good. Oh my gosh. Well, and then we complain about sixty-eight pound boats, right? So, yeah. Exactly. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. I did not know that. I did not. Know. Let me ask you this: What, um, uh, the 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 bark canoes? I mean, how how was that? How were those assembled? Actually, I mean, or man, created? I guess. Well, so all barks are peeled off the trees, you know, so what they'll Mm -hmm. do is they'll seek out trees with very specific aspects that allow the bark to be peeled easily. Um, You know, when it comes to elm, which is a, you know, super stringy sort of thing, 
Mm-hmm. Um, you've got to work hard to peel that and then it stitch it together the same way that they do birch bark. Um, okay. and each, each region varies in terms of how they stitch. Uh, in the case of the Indians or the natives, uh, on Tierra del Fuego, Fuego so these are the Yakian Indians, mm-hmm. uh, they would build bark boats, but the bark boats weren't especially seaworthy in the sense that the, uh, the kids would always sit in the center. And the kids had two jobs. Number one was to keep the fire going on a bed of moss. Okay. And number two was to bail. Oh, wow. So the kids were the so, bailers. Yep. They leaked. They leaked pretty heavily. And uh, oh. the males, uh, the husbands would be in the front with a harpoon and the women would be in the back paddling. For real? Oh, yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, and actually, the other thing that way is the women were the only ones that knew how to swim because those canoes had to be anchored offshore so the women would paddle the family in, the family would get out, then the women would paddle them back out onto the water and anchor them, basically, tie them off, and then wow. they'd swim in. <laughs> That's pretty cool. I did not know any of this. This is good. This is very good. See, Willow, we're learning, like, leaves. this is question number one. And we, yeah, I was like, whoa, <laughs> go women power. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. So then when was the modern co- canoe design developed? You know, it's been a steady evolution. So we went from birch barks, and then the next jump uh, was into the wood canvas end of the world. And so those were wood boats, you know, wood boats all the way through. Um, and I shouldn't have said wood canvas. Earlier there were, earlier than that, there were wood boats. But we've, we've had a consistent movement all the way through to aluminum. So there were wooden wood canvas in the 1800s and the 1900s, early 1900s. Okay. Those those boats were designed very much like birch bark boats, and then aluminum came to the forefront right after World War II because, of course, we built all these B everything fighters, uh, you know, B-29s, what have you, B-52s, and uh, all of a sudden it was like, oh, my God, what do we do with all this excess aluminum capacity we all of a sudden have in 1945? And the result was, well, let's turn it into canoes. At least that was one of the aspects. And beer cans, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yep, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> And so aluminum <laughs> canoes ushered in a whole new way to build things because, of course, everything had been based on wood previously, and wood bends in curves. It doesn't bend in any other shape than a curve. Um, and so when you look at you know any old wood canvas, any old wood boat, for the most part, and there are a few variances, birch barks included, all the ends have these nice, beautiful recurve stems. They look like canoes should look in most people's minds. Aluminum canoes mirrored that because they said, well, everybody wants that shape, so heck, we'll build it. But really what they do is build them in two halves, and they use the keel to join the halves together. And so we went through the aluminum days, and then we finally moved into fiberglass. Uh, You know, later was Kevlar, carbon fiber, and then also some of the plastics. And, of course, all the initial boats in those materials, too, were built with recurved stems. And then gradually the naval architects came in and said, why are we doing this? There's more efficient ways to build canoes. We don't have to include all those parts of the canoe that had to be included on those way, way old boats just because of the way that wood worked. Now we can do things without, you know, no constraints, basically. We can make whatever shapes we want to. And so all those naval architects, you know, with their CAD programs and that and the thing said, hey, let's change up the shapes a lot. And so now what we have primarily is raked stems, um, which are, you know, they, they include less um, material, uh, which means they're lighter weight, less affected by wind, and they give, they give the same or better performance in the water. So, oh, no. big evolution. 
Yeah, that's that's interesting. I yeah, I didn't I didn't realize the um, I didn't realize that that was um, why everyone kept that shape. You know, was because they said, well, let's just keep doing it. That's what everybody wants. That's interesting. Yeah, and that is that's the expectations with keels too. You know, wood canvas had keels because they needed a sacrificial spot to wear. You know, so you've got this beautiful piece of canvas, and then you put right. a keel under the bottom of it, and that's where what takes the wear. And then the aluminum yeah. said, well, everybody expects there to be keels. That's where we can join the two halves together. This is great. <laughs> yeah, right. And then, you know, we started to build composite canoes. And, of course, some of those early builders in, in you know, Kevlar carbon fiber, fiberglass, all that into things said, well, everybody wants keels. We'll put keels on. And then all of a sudden, you know, we're saying, you don't need keels. What the heck do you want a keel for? It just slows the boat down, adds some weight. You know, there's Make no point to them. But they're supposed to have them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there is something to be said for certain traditions, however. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Canoes are very traditional. Canoes are very, very traditional. <laughs> yeah. When it's counterproductive, I guess it's not always good, but yeah. <laughs> well, how have whole designs evolved since the early days? And how have modern construction materials had an effect on design? Well, the the whole evolution is is exactly what we just talked about in part the remainder of that is we found different ways to build boats you know one of the things that we do uh, let's back up so dugouts uh in order to spread those those logs apart they would put torts in and the benefit of that of course was not only did they get a little bit extra more extra capacity they made the boat more stable because they added flair to the boat. Um, okay. So it was a very accidental and, you know, I, I shouldn't, accidental is the wrong word. The evolution of the canoe helped create flair in those areas. The same things were done with birch bark boats and all the way really up until composites. Um, and then some wood boats in the, in the, you know, seventies basically. And then all of a sudden people started to play with other ways to build the shape boats and did tumble home uh and then what bell uh, canoe which was our predecessor company came out with was shouldered flare and this is a way to build a boat such that you have the most seaworthy boat possible because when you have a flared boat and you lean it over in the water it keeps getting more and more stable because it keeps getting wider and wider and wider you keep exposing more hull to the water and so shouldered flare is a way to create a boat that does everything that a flared boat does but it also has the benefits of tumble home, which means that you can have a vertical paddle shaft. You don't bang your hands on the gunnels when you paddle from the center of the boat, which is what happens primarily on solo canoes. Yeah. Um, and so canoes have gone through a lot of evolution due to not only naval architecture, but also just simple comfort. Um, and shouldered flare is mostly about comfort. And it's, of course, a huge improvement on tumble home. Um, so that's one of the things that's happened. Material-wise, you can't build a boat with shouldered flare in a birch bark. You, I don't think they could build an aluminum. I never tried, never really thought about that. But really, the modern materials are those that allow you to build a boat with shouldered flare. Uh, you know, that would be your Royal X's uh, and all the composites. And I should define composites because I'll use that word a lot. Composites are anything that you put together with resin. So that's that could be fiberglass, uh, which was the original. That could be Kevlar could be carbon fiber and then of course a new material that we're playing a lot with these days is a negra which is a polypropylene that's not the most expensive thing in the world but has a lot of characteristics that allow it to behave 
similar to plastics in its durability. Um, and so composites allow us to make whatever shapes we want. It, we're not governed by the material at all. So birch bark was very governed by the material in terms of the shape that you could make. Aluminum is very governed by the material. The, the, the material restricts what shapes you can make. Uh, plastics are the same way. Composites have no, no barriers. You simply say, I want to make this shape, and away you go. Um, and so that's what modern canoe design is. Uh, composites allow us to make the most modern canoe designs. Wow. I thought I had finished my classes for today, but I guess <laughs> I guess I get all these this new material. <laughs> you know, Bear, I will say this, and, and I used to do construction, but if um, they can make a uh, rain gutter out of aluminum, all that shape that goes up, I'm pretty certain they could do that with it. Uh, with a canoe with the uh, tumble home, I would think. It wouldn't It wouldn't surprise me at all if they could. I mean, honestly, the challenge with aluminum these days for aluminum canoe manufacturers is car, the car industry. Is what the car industry is taking up all the aluminum. Interesting. Oh, yeah. 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 Yep, yep. They have real a really hard time sourcing materials these days. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. So what would you say are the pros and cons of the modern materials used in manufacturing canoes versus that which were used years ago with respect to being susceptible to damage and also from a repair aspect. I know you touched on this a little bit, but I want I kind of want to hear it in more detail. Well, and it's going to vary by material. So obviously birch bark was all natural materials. You paddle through the forest. If you did damage to it, you said, hey, let's go look for a birch tree. Now we need some pine pitch. Put them together and away we go. So birch bark mm -hmm. were ideal that way, but of course they had a huge amount of maintenance requirements because if you touched, excuse me, if you touched any significant number of rocks or did any significant damage to it, you were out of luck. I mean, you just can't recover a birch bark. <laughs> aluminum, aluminum is a very different material that way. It's a metal. So it doesn't, you know, birch barks, of course, degrade, they age, you know, the materials themselves just age out. Um, they wear out um, over time, just like a piece of wood does in the forest. Um, mm -hmm. Aluminum is a very different ball of wax that way. As a metal, it doesn't age. So it's a very attractive canoe to leave, you know, stored and, you know, you could just catch an aluminum canoe in the middle of the woods and forget about it for five years and go back to it. It's just going to have moss growing on it. But other than that, it's going to be fine. It's a challenge to repair because it requires welding. Uh, so it's not something that the average canoe owner says, oh, I'm just going to carry some welding equipment along when I go on a trip. So <laughs> for the most part, you, it's hard to damage an aluminum boat. They are not really subject to abrasion. If you put a hole in one, for the most part on a trip, it's catastrophic. I mean, you, you see aluminum canoes abandoned throughout, especially Canada. You know, in Ontario, Manitoba, especially where the heaviest use of canoes has occurred, um, routinely you see spots where, you know, an aluminum canoe is wrapped around a rock or it's up on shore with a big hole in it or whatever, and they've just abandoned it. You know, I, I know that, uh, I know that um, uh, like Gorilla Tape really works very well for mm -hmm. a temporary patch on, on plastics. All right. On totally. How does it, I, and I've never had to patch an aluminum canoe. Uh, with or try any tape like that. How does the, that uh, Gorilla Tape work on yep. aluminum? 
there. Yeah, no, it? it'll, it'll totally work fine. Does it? Okay. It's just oh, the yeah. fact that these people aren't carrying that sort of stuff is the reason, right? So what happens with an aluminum also is people have, um, how shall we put it, a sense that what they're paddling is is somewhat indestructible. Oh, yeah. Um, so they're <laughs> not every, very careful. Every little company, they do um, that. It's national yep. direct. Yeah, yeah. And one of the other things about aluminum that makes it very unique and also very challenging to paddle is it sticks to rocks. So it has a very high friction coefficient. So whenever you hit a rock with an aluminum canoe, in fact, in my early days of paddling, uh, I, I inherited a grumman from my father. You know, we'd be running a rapid and all of a sudden you do a 180 because you catch the side of the canoe on a rock and you just spin around. Right, right. Um, <laughs> you know, whereas plastics and especially composites, neither one of those, they both have very low friction coefficients, which means they just, you know, they, they, they bounce off a rock, basically. They just graze along a rock and you keep moving downstream. Right. Repairability-wise, duct tape, Gorilla Tape, you know, is recommended for everything. You know, never, never, always carry that. I carry that on day trips even because you never know when you're going to say, oh, the grip on my paddle just came off and, you know, it's going to be really easy to tape it back on. You know, it's musician's um, best friend too, that duct tape and all that kind of stuff. So absolutely. Exactly. You know, I busted a yoke on a trip and, you know, you cut out, cut out a stick and carve it for a while and get it to about the right shape to, to, to back up the yoke and then lots of duct tape. <laughs> yeah. Make, we call that a cripple. <laughs> yep, exactly. Yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of other repairability, um, composites compared to plastics, Composites outlast plastics dramatically. So if you compare, you know, the polyethylenes, the Roylexes, and now, of course, now the later um, T4 mixes, the new plastic out there, right. composites outlast all those materials two, three, four to one in terms of their longevity. So that's the great thing about composites is people look at a canoe is, well, hey, you're going to pass this down to your kids as opposed to especially polyethylene, which has a very short shelf life comparatively. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Uh, and then ease of repair. Composites are certainly the easiest of the three common materials to repair uh, in the sense that how do you repair a plastic canoe? You can plastic weld it. Um, that is, that's got its challenges. Uh, it's not the easiest thing to do. Um, how do you repair a Roylex? Uh, you use composites to do that. So you use Kevlar and resin. How do you repair a composite canoe? You use Kevlar and resin. But the great thing, of course, is you're repairing like with like, and so it's very easy to work with. Yeah. And then you can also refresh a composite canoe. Um, and if you look at what the Boundary Waters Outfitters do or the Anirondack Outfitters or a host of Canadian Outfitters, they all do basically the same thing, which is they'll roll new resin over the old resin after it's been essentially all sanded off. And they don't make the canoe new, but they make it so it's got a whole new coat and it lasts a long time. You can't do that to any plastics. You can't do that to birch bark. You can do that to a wood canvas in the sense of replacing the canvas, but that's what it's most akin to. Interesting. Interesting. And, when, and curious, before we do the, because we're, uh, we're going to do a commercial, but be, when they do that, you have, they have to scuff that first and rely on a mechanical bond rather than a, um, um, how do I want to say a reactive bond? Like, you know, like lacquer is a reactive, it melts mm -hmm. the, the layer before it, whereas a, right. Uh, a polyurethane is that's just abraded and it's just a matter of you know creating some tooth so is that kind of the same yep. yeah. you're completely correct you're 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 abrading you, you've got to get all the shine off and then yeah. give it some tooth <laughs> as they yep. say yeah 
Well, we're going to take a break, but don't go away. We'll be back with more of The Camping Show on W4C Radio and Top 4 TV after these messages. It's time to go camping. Introducing Campground View's virtual tours. You can tour the campground, see the sites, see if they are available, and click to book your perfect spot. Hit the open road and explore the amazing places found in nature. We make it easy to discover, find, and book your site so that you can go have the fun and freedom you seek. Campground View's virtual tours make it easy and simple for you to see where you are going. A few years ago, someone asked Rutabaga's owner, Darren Bush, Hey, how long have you guys been selling boats? Darren replied, We don't sell boats. We sell time on the water. Of course, that comes in all types. We help people paddle more safely with Rutabaga outdoor programs. We rent canoes, kayaks, and stand-up paddleboards. We sell and install racks to get you from home to adventure. Rutabaga's got everything you need to get you out on the water, like paddles, life jackets, dry bags, and clothing. Rutabaga Paddle Sports, on the web at rutabaga.com. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Mention you saw this ad on The Camping Show. And we are back with our guest, Bear Paulson, on The Camping Show. Bear, I'm going to just go through these real quick. I've got a bunch of terms, and we've got quite a few questions left for you here. But uh, and you already talked about uh, China, or I think it's Tumble Home. But anyway, let's go through this real quick and just give us a brief uh, definition of these. Uh, first, the, the hall, everybody knows what the hall is. Um, different shapes. Can you give us a few different shapes, the most popular ones? Well, hull shape-wise, you've got touring hulls, so efficient for, for lake travel. You've got whitewater hulls, uh, best for spinning circles, going down rapids, uh, what have you, going over waterfalls. We actually are playing with a few of those ourselves uh, with our whitewater lamination. Um, cool. Um, and, um, you know, okay, so we'll go to Chine. How about Chine? Chine is where the boat transitions. Uh, if 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 I'm a boat, right in here is the chine. So it's it is the transition from the side to the bottom. You can have a very soft chine, a very gently curved chine, or you can have a very hard chine like an aluminum canoe does, more of a right angle. Which is more suitable for a lake than it would be a river, am I right? Yeah, it's it's inefficient either way. Uh, yeah. Because you've got, you know, when you would close things with a circle, of course, you've got the least um, surface area. When you close things as a box, you've got a lot of extra and unuseful surface area. Mm -hmm. And then tumble home. We talked about that a little bit. Go ahead tumble home is is where a canoe tucks in just a little bit um, at the uh, at the gunnel, such that it's easier to paddle. You can have a vertical paddle stroke. 
on the exterior. Um, and you can actually see this, there's an article uh, on our website called Shouldered Flare that does discuss this much better than I'm gonna be able to, but essentially Tumblehome <laughs> makes it easier to paddle a solo canoe uh, such that you don't bang your hands on the gunnels. Yeah, how about Flare? Flare makes for the driest canoe. Uh, and so the goal of every canoe builder when it comes to a tandem canoe is to utilize as much flare as possible to make the driest boat possible uh, while still making it comfortable to paddle. When it comes to solo canoes, then Tumblehome comes to the forefront. But what we did in the years before, in the years at Bell was uh, shoulder flare. So we combined the benefits of both shoulder, both Tumblehome and flare into one canoe, which is shoulder flare. Interesting. Symmetry. Symmetry means you've got a boat that's the same on either end. So if we cut a boat in half at the yoke, it's identical on either end. So it's predictable to paddle. Uh, it's what all early canoes were because it was just the easiest way to make a boat. Why on earth would you consider anything else? Up until we started to play with naval architecture a little bit and we said, you know, there might be some more efficient ways to do this if we're trying to go in a straight line. And that's where asymmetry came from. And asymmetry is with regard to not only the hull shape, but also with regard to the rocker profile. Oh, interesting. Fullness. Fullness is right along the quarter ship. So near where you put your feet or your knees in the bow and then just behind the stern paddler, fullness is the ability to ride up and down over waves rather than to knife right through them. So it's placing a value on seaworthiness is what fullness does. How about the entry line? Entry line is how sharp or blunt the entry of the boat is. Uh, and so composites allow us to make a very fine entry line, a very efficient entry line. When you look at plastics especially, they're much more governed by what the material is not capable of doing, which is making a fine entry line. So they tend to have much more blunt entry lines that are less efficient to paddle. Yeah, interesting. Uh, the stem, square and rounded. So stems are what we talked about with regard to the recurve. So that nice, let's see if I can do this, a nice <laughs> recurve shape like is on all old wood canvas boats on most aluminum canoes. Um, when you do a plumb stem, you've got a race boat. So the goal there is to maximize your waterline length. And then most canoes that are built for touring these days will have what we call a rake stem, which means it's just got a slight, um, it comes, it, it, it goes out a little bit further at the at the bow deck and just cuts in just a little bit. So the waterline length is just a little bit less than the actual length of the boat. Um, and what that's, of course, doing is creating a little bit of dryness uh, for the paddlers. Uh, the keel, T and shoe. So keel is something we want to avoid. Um, keels are, again, what, what are used to join the two halves of aluminum, what are used to protect wood canvas boats, which have no basis or benefit on a modern canoe. Um, where are they? Okay, where a, a canoe is measured, there are three places. And where are those? The depth of the canoe. Well, there's more measurements than that, but let, let oh. me just rattle them off. So there's there's length. So that's a 17-foot canoe, 16-foot canoe, whatever. And then there's widths uh, in the center. And so that could be, that would be for us, it would be gunnel width. Uh, so the, the width of the gunnels, then the maximum width, and then the waterline width. So that'd be those three measurements, perhaps. And then there's also rocker, and I'm sure you're going to get to that. That's another measurement. But then there's also the shear line, which would be the bow depth, the center depth, and the stern depth. 
Okay, that's the ones I was I was referring to. Is those three, <laughs> yeah, the depth, the depth, the three plates where the depth was measured. But yeah, that's yeah. those are a lot. There are a lot of measurements in it. I mean, there are a lot of measurements, no doubt about it. Um, <laughs> gun whales, which no one says anymore, or gunnels. <laughs> <laughs> gunnels, rails. Yeah. <laughs> the funny sticks on the sides of the boat. <laughs> yeah, and basically that's yeah. And you know, and I actually did know. I I, I do know why they call them gun whales because the old gunboats. That's where the that's that term came from. Yeah, um rocker now this sounds like a eddie van halen thing here right? <laughs> indeed indeed <laughs> so so rocker is the shape of the keel so if you put the boat flat on the flat on a flat floor and the whole boat touches the floor you've got zero rocker if the ends come up you've got rocker the more the ends come up the more rocker there is the more rocker there is the more maneuverability there is the more the boat it becomes suitable for you know, not only moving water, but just general usage um, in um, in conditions where uh, you're not trying to go as fast as possible, but you're just going in and out of the shoreline and the other things. Those are places where rocker benefits. If you're racing, you want zero rocker. Beam, and not the gym beam. Ah, the beam <laughs> is the width of the boat. That's what I covered earlier. So that is literally the width of the boat, maximum yeah. beam. You know, like I said, gunnel width and then and then waterline beam. And thwart. Thwart and yoke. We'll put those together. Okay. So thwarts are what are spreading the boat. Uh, so in a solo canoe, you've got two thwarts. In a tandem canoe, you've got two thwarts, but a lot of people will call them three thwarts because they, they include the yoke as a thwart. Mm-hmm. And so the carrying yoke is in the center of the boat. That's usually got a neck cut out. And that's the third thwart. And in a few cases, people will call the grab handles thwarts as well. And so they'll say, got five thwarts, but, you know, it's all terminology. Now that I didn't know, I didn't know they'd actually refer to those uh, uh, handles as thwarts. But, yeah, I guess and, they would be. Definitely. And actually, let's do just the, just the, the, the little spin off of thwarts. And that is, here's, here's a question back, which is, what happens if you increase the length of a thwart on the same hull? Okay. What does and so happen? what you what you do when you do that is you increase the rocker. You actually spread that boat out and you pull the ends up. Yeah. So you create a boat that's got more better whitewater characteristics by increasing the length of the thwarts, or pulling those thwarts in increases the flat water performance. Of course, you can't do that very much in composite canoes just because of the way they're built. But on right. plastics, you can do that a ton, and yeah. you can do it to a limited degree on on composites as well. Interesting. Yeah, because they're very flexible that way. Um, Freeboard. Freeboard is how much of the boat is out of the water when you've got, you know, any amount of load in it. So if I put if I put myself in a solo canoe, I'll have, let's say, eight inches of freeboard. And then if I load it with gear and a dog, I'll have six inches of freeboard. So I'll have less freeboard, the more weight I put in it. Skin or layup? Oh, um, so that is the building process on a composite canoe. So the, the skin coat, uh, could be either a gel coat or a resin coat. The layup would be what materials we've actually chosen to build the boat with. Uh, so that'd be your Kevlar, your carbon fibers, and whether it has a foam core or not for stiffening. Uh, tracking. Tracking is how well a boat goes in a straight line. So it's a contrast to how well it maneuvers. So you, you either get one or the other. 
we can with asymmetry get a lot of both. And so that naval architecture thing that I keep referring to, building asymmetric canoes um, on our touring side of things allows us, utilizing asymmetry on our touring canoes allows us to have a canoe that tracks well and is maneuverable. So we can we can aim for the best of both worlds. Yeah, absolutely. Asymmetry. Last two, we're gonna put those together, primary and secondary stability. So primary or initial stability is how comfortable a boat feels right when you sit down in it. And so if you get into a rowboat, you say, hey, I can stand up in this thing. This thing's stable. <laughs> and if you get in an aluminum canoe, frequently that same thing is the case because they have very flat bottoms. What happens when you disengage that flat bottom and you put a flat bottom on a wave is all of a sudden you lose your stability because that once that flat bottom disengages, boat goes over. And so when you do a slightly more rounded hull, what we call shallow arch most commonly these days, we, we modify that a little bit into an elliptical hull and we do that flare thing where they flare all the way out, um, we can create a hull that has excellent secondary stability, which is resistance to capsizing. And so translation, when you get into the wind and the waves and you get into rough weather and water, you want a boat with good secondary stability because that's the boat that is most resistant to capsize. When you're on flat water, a boat with high initial stability feels very comfortable, but its initial stability is like a tricycle where you cruise along and then you take a turn and you go, oh my God, one of my wheels just came off the ground and now my head hit the pavement. <laughs> and Great a tricycle is like secondary stability, which is, guess what? You go around the corner nice and clean. That's secondary stability. I like that. That's very good. Like a tricycle. That, that's, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's perfect. perfect. Well, I want to see some photos now. So Roxy, can we have you put up the photos that Bear sent us and we'll have him tell us about each of those. That is me. Uh, that is me uh, on uh, my son's first canoe trip. Uh, Dashua was 29 days old and we took him to the Boundary Waters for 18 days. Oh, I remember you talking wow. about that. Yeah. Wow. And that is that same trip. That's uh, that's one of our portages. You know, we, we didn't travel fast. We had nine days of snow out of the 18. And, uh, and so we, were, we did a fair <laughs> bit of base camping on that one, but we did move around some. <laughs> I love it. There's Dash, uh, two years older. Uh, so he was, uh, he was about two and a half at this point. Or, oh, no, sorry, wait. I'm, I'm wrong, one and a half at this point. Uh, last year, thanks to COVID, um, we couldn't go very far afield, or at least we didn't feel very safe going far afield. And so we did a trip near our house. And so we started from International Falls for anybody that knows Minnesota, that's Voyagers National Park. We paddled across the Voyagers National Park, across the Boundary Waters. We did the Grand Portage. We went down the shore of Lake Superior for a couple of hundred miles. We went up the Wabrua River in Wisconsin. That's that's where this shot was actually taken. We're very near the headwaters. And then we went down the St. Croix and up another little river and paddled back to our house over 38 days and 600 miles. Wow. And there is the end of Grand Portage. And boy, were we happy to have finished eight and a half miles with five heavy loads because <laughs> we did the trip without resupply. That is a shot that a friend of North Stars took. And uh, it's, it's fitting, of course, that the canoe is the magic in there and Northern Lights uh, dancing all over the place. Uh, but that is the Boundary Waters. 
That last picture was incredible. Oh yeah, Brian Hansel is a gifted photographer. Wow. The canoe almost takes away from the, the Northern Lights. It's glowing <laughs> in the picture. <laughs> so there are paddlers who are apprehensive about drilling holes in their brand new $3,000 canoe for installing airbags and applying permanent adhesive to keep knee pads and D-rings. What sort of advice or reassurance might you offer on this subject? You know, I mean, first of all, you've got to make the boat yours. I mean, that's that's mm -hmm. really the first and foremost thing that I can say. And that's true with all gear. I mean, I also teach winter camping classes and that and things. And I always tell people, it's like, you know, you've got a liner in your glove and you're getting a little cold on your thumb because the, they didn't design it well enough for the size of your thumb. Cut the liner off and leave the shell. Um, and so you modify things. You've got to modify things to make them more comfortable for you to make them yours. Canoes are expensive, there's no question about it. Um, and really they're not very expensive in the grand scheme of things when you consider that they take 20 or 25 person hours to build and there's a lot of expensive materials in them. Um, and so you don't get too many things that are hand built the same way a canoe is anymore. Uh, but anyway, back to, the, back to the question at hand and what I really wanna get across to people is don't hesitate to do it. What's the worst that's gonna happen? Composites are very forgiving for one. Uh, when it comes to gluing, all you do is all you do is use acetone to get most adhesives out, uh, and you can correct any mistakes. When it comes to drilling, you might end up with an extra set of holes, but you know what? You're far better off ending up with an extra set of holes than you are having a boat that you don't paddle because you didn't modify it for yourself because you didn't make it yours. That That's perfect. really well put. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Hey, real quick, how do you go? How do you go about suiting paddlers? You know, if they come in. Uh, they want a canoe. They want to order one. How do you go about suiting up with uh, the correct type, style, size? You know, in design, uh, oh, yeah. it's best suited for their needs. And by the way, just to let you know, there. Don't mean to rush you. We're about seven minutes left of the show. So. Got it. Okay, I'll be short. Um, so you know, we've got oh boy, I don't know what it is. Thirty-five retailers nationwide and a few international distributors. And so ultimately, for the most part, it's their employees that have those conversations with people on the ground. But we routinely get phone calls from paddlers asking us those types of questions. And ultimately it's, where are you gonna paddle? How heavy are you? Um, how heavy is your gear? You know, so it's dialing all that sort of thing in. How long are you gonna go out for? What conditions do you wanna paddle in? Are we talking about whitewater wilderness trips? Are we talking about day trips? Are we talking about the boundary waters? You know, everything under the sun that way. And of course, for most people, it's well, I wanna do some of this and I wanna do some of this. And so you're trying to kind of average things out you know, some of the hardest people to deal with, some of the hardest people to advise, I shouldn't say deal with, but advise <laughs> are those that say, well, I'm going to go solo 75% of the time, but I need to be able to take my wife, my girlfriend, my brother, my my husband, my whatever along. And so That's I have to, have to rent the tandem, and buy the solo. Um, <laughs> You know, it's all sorts of conversations like that. So ultimately speaking, we spend a fair bit on, of time on the phone with people. Um, people email and we just say, you know what, it's easier to call to get the nuances just like we are right now. It's very yeah. hard to get the nuances if we were just rat-a-tat-tatting away by email. Yeah. Um, it doesn't work the same, but it really is. It's, it's, it's just about spending a bunch of time talking with people. I actually did a series of YouTube videos uh, this spring uh, that try to help distill that a little bit so they can come into the conversation with a little bit more of a baseline, a little bit more like, well, I'm thinking about these two boats. Talk to me about which one I should go with to, to help distill it for them a little bit. Yeah. 
Well, we did just get a question asking how light are these canoes that you're talking about here? You know, 18 pounds is the lightest solo that we build right now. And I think 33 or 32 is the lightest tandem. Um, and so we can make them pretty airy if you want. The average tandem is more in the 40 pound range. The average solo is more in the mid 20s to high 20s. And how many models do you offer? And are there different styles and features to choose from? Oh my God, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, we have 17 models, which explains why we need to have conversations with people. Wow. And within wow. each one of those models, we have anywhere from uh, two to five different laminations, ways to build them. We have up to three types of trim. Uh, and then we have a fair number of options in addition to that. Um, so yeah, there's a lot to look through. <laughs> you know, how, and real quickly on this here, we're winding down about five minutes, but how, how did this, uh, has this pandemic situation affected supply and demand at uh, North Star? You know, it's nutty. Um, we were closed <laughs> for three weeks due to the Minnesota governor's order. And then he said, hey, uh, marinas and golf courses can reopen. And we kind of looked at each other and said, well, we're close enough to marina. We're going to start. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, so for a couple of weeks, we did the skeleton crew. You know, it's like we wanted to be careful. We wanted to make sure that, you know, we weren't running afoul of anyone. And so it's like, right. you know what? We had we had, our th we had three laminators. We had one guy doing trim. And, and then me answering the phones in the office as opposed to doing it remotely the way that I had been for the past three weeks. Right. Uh, and then gradually it was like, nope, we're getting busier. Well, we're getting busier. We're getting busier. And so <laughs> last year in June, I think we had 12 employees. Right now we're sitting at 22. Wow. Um, wow. So it's, it's, it's amazing what it's done for business. In fact, my job, one of my jobs, and, and there's lots of them in a small business, but one of those has always been to sell the canoes. And what I do now, instead of saying, hey, do you want to buy more canoes, is I tell my retailers and my outfitters that they can't have as many as they want because we can't build them. Um, so it's flipped things on its head in a lot of different ways. And then, of course, supply chain wise, uh, we've also been introduced to challenges. We've been able to avoid the worst of the issues, I think, for, that, that a lot of people have had just because we've been at this for so long. And we've got good relations with our suppliers and we're well capitalized, which means we can pull in extra supply. We don't do just in time on that end of the world. But oh, yeah. for anybody that's not aware of it, Texas, the Texas freeze, that's the petrochemical industry. That is resins. That is foam. Oh, wow. All those things were hugely affected supply chain wise. And, you know, you hear about like the, the, the freighter in the Suez Canal. I mean, all that stuff just ripples through <laughs> supply chains. Yeah. It's nutty. <laughs> so is there anything new in the store from North Star Canoe for 2020? Well, we, we thought there would be. Uh, but our research and development department is primarily building canoes at present. <laughs> yeah. It's so, a different environment. Yeah, we we are we you know it's still one of those things that we've got some things on the docket. Uh, you know we've got designs that are partway through the process, but we're nowhere near ready to announce what they are. Or say hey, this is going to be available because we don't know when it's going to be. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Understand. So where should our viewers and listeners go to learn more about these amazing canoes you build at North Star? Well, you know, NorthStarCanoes.com is our website, so that's that's an easy spot. It's got our phone number and info about email and that and of thing, so that's that's 
easy location. In fact, all the videos that I referenced are on there too. There's a little section on there called the Explore section. There are an endless number of articles about shoulder flare and about all sorts of funky canoe stuff, basically, as well as the videos. Beyond that, uh, we've got retailers. And so our retailers' inventories are a little bit challenged these days because people buy canoes before they show up at the retailers. So <laughs> in many yeah. cases, the retailers don't have that many to show, but they do have some. Uh, and it's certainly worth stopping by the retailers and just chatting with them and getting a look to see, you know, ah, I want to see Starlight, you know, one of the laminations in person. I want to see this boat in person. And, you know, there, there certainly are canoes scattered around out there and we're building them as fast as we can and delivering them as quick as we can. So everybody is getting resupplied routinely. They, they are marvelous canoes. A friend of mine bought one and I got a chance to check it out and just beautiful, wonderful canoes. So absolutely do great work there. Well, we'd like to thank you, Bear, for uh, being our guest here on the Camping Show. It uh, was certainly a pleasure having you here this evening. Well, thank you both for the questions, for inviting me, and and uh, and being interested in North Star. Very welcome. Very welcome. We'd also like to thank our sponsored sponsors, Campground Views and Rutabaga Paddle Sports, for bringing you tonight's show. Yes. And and to Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry I cut you off. <laughs> You're good. Go ahead. <laughs> Just be, be sure to tune in for next week's episode. And uh, we'll we'll uh, see who we got for a guest. We got somebody. We had somebody cancel, so we're working on filling that spot right now. Until then, thank you for tuning into the camping show. This is C.W. Getz and Willa Munson reminding you: learn more, do more. See, see you next week. Next week. <laughs>